Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Design B&B is looking for a senior project manager in Chicago, Illinois. Vox Media is looking for a senior designer. This is a remote position. And Workday is looking for a UX product design manager in the following cities. Seattle, Beaverton, Boulder, Pleasanton, and in Vancouver, British Columbia. For just $99, we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of listeners. We also offer an annual job board subscription for companies and organizations. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings and others. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Before we get into this week's interview, I've got a quick announcement. It's May, which means that it's time once again for our annual audience survey. Now, we've been doing these every year since we've started Revision Path, and it's a great way for us to get feedback from you and learn what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, and what you would like to see more of in the future. Head over to revisionpath.com forward slash survey. Let us know what you think. The survey will be open until midnight on May 31st. So if you've got a few minutes, we'd love for you to give us your thoughts on the podcast. Again, that's at revisionpath.com forward slash survey. You'll also find the link to it in the show notes. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with Ariet Chandler, brand identity designer, creative director, and the founder of one woman studio, Ariet by Design. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Ariad Chandler. I am technically and officially a graphic designer. I run my own business firm studio, one woman show called Ariad by Design here in Trinidad and Tobago. And I primarily work on branding, identity projects. Apart from that, I am a part-time lecturer for design at the University of West Indies, St. Augustine, which is here in Trinidad. There might be other things I'm forgetting that I do, but that's, <laughs> we, can, we can get to that. <laughs> okay. How has the year been treating you so far? Whew, it's been interesting. I feel like 2022 has started kind of with a bang in a different way. I mean, things are changing with the pandemic, but then World War Three question mark... <laughs> I feel like a lot of stuff is just happening globally. And I don't know about you, but as a creative, all of those things kind of impacts me a little bit. I feel like because of the weight or the toll it can take on mentally, consuming all of the information all the time, it kind of puts a tone on things. 
But apart from those obvious things, the year started actually with me doing a lot more than I planned on doing. I ended up being a creative director at a local agency here, working on rolling out some digital products. And then that got paused due to a pause in investments. So there was a lot of shifting happening where I went from working on external products to focusing more on aired by design instead of juggling the two. <laughs> I feel like that was a mouthful of your very simple <laughs> question. But that's how the year has been going for me. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting about, you know, we're as you kind of alluded to about World War Three, and I promise for folks listening, this is not a, a political podcast, but I've been kind of keeping my eye just I watch the news every now and then just to kind of get a sense of what's happening. I mean, as we're recording, this conflict has been going on now for roughly about six or seven weeks. Yeah. It doesn't show any sign of abatement. It's tough to kind of see, you know, of course, all the, the devastation that's happening and the general pleas from the president Zelensky. And, mm-hmm. and yet I know people that are actively traveling to that part of the world without a care in the world. And I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm like, look, I know you're a few countries away and maybe that distance means something, but like, I don't know if my American self wants to be in a war-torn part of the world right now, but that's just me. Yeah, no. I mean, I have friends and family in in Europe, in London, in Germany, and life is normal. Life is like every day, no big deal. And then I have a friend who is actually Russian, but she lives in this part of the world. And she's just like painting a picture for me of what that means. And life, I mean, the war is really, from what I understand, only happening in, I mean, certain parts, right? So it's not even affecting the country as a whole. It's like saying there's a war in the U.S., but it's really just happening in Washington. The rest of the U.S. won't really be in war you know what i mean so yeah yeah it's a very similar kind of situation where we just think well the whole of this thing is is being affected when it's really just a portion but i think it's just the fact that you know we're getting all of the imagery we're getting all the information live like it's not like before in the previous wars there were there was no social media there was no you know what i mean it took a while to get news updates we're getting everything instantly and i think that is what's making this so different at least for me i mean i haven't i haven't existed in a in a war before or yeah. war time so it's just new you know and it's also different you know to, to be completely honest that it's happening to europeans when this is, yeah. was happening to Syrians and Palestinians and there were news about these sorts of things happening, there well, certainly wasn't this level of focus on it. No. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Geopolitics aside, <laughs> <laughs> is there anything in particular that you want to achieve this year? Yes, I do, actually. I would like to achieve financial independence and stability. That is the main goal for me this year. And what I mean by that is actually having the profit that the business make then stack up to a point where the business kind of can run on its own and it's more sustainable. Right now, I think we're still very much in those early stages of, I won't say paycheck to paycheck, but month to month, certain projects will definitely make a difference, that kind of thing. And so being able to kind of get that stability within a personal business that one might have they had a day job i think that's kind of the goal that i'm aspiring to for this year 
Let's talk more about your firm, Ariad by mm. Design. Uh, what made you want to start your own firm? I came back home in 2012 after I graduated from college. I was, I've realized that I'm one of those people that didn't go the traditional route of started off with a day job and then decided to leave and do my own thing. I kind of always worked on my own. So I went straight from college, well, not straight, like mainly from college to freelance to register in my business. Honestly, I was freelancing for six years um, and I discovered all of the different things of how business works in Trinidad. And basically, my banker was like, you know, you're like commingling your funds, right? And I was like, what What does that mean? Mm. She's like, well, you're passing like business funds into your personal bank account. And I was like, what do you mean business funds? Like money that I'm earning? She's like, yeah, you're supposed to have like a business account for those things. And I was like, oh, did not learn this <laughs> in school. Never heard this before. Yeah. Didn't know anything. And so that kind of took me down the trajectory of like, researching things and finding things out and talking to different people and that kind of thing and also like it came at a point in my life when I really wanted to like ground myself a bit and set roots and structure and stability so it was a kind of a natural make sense progression of okay no you need to make things official you need to go and register your business name you need to be a legal registered entity you open your business bank banking accounts i got an accountant like i did all of the things correct mm -hmm. to make sure that i was set up properly and that led to so many different opportunities which was great so yeah I mean, you know, it's it's interesting you mentioned that about it not being taught in school. I know that there are some schools that do have like some kind of entrepreneurial program, but even for folks that want to just strike out on their own, like I know so many people have done over the past year or so because of the great resignation, mm -hmm. like that kind of information isn't super, I don't want to say it's not super available, but it's certainly not something that is, I think, talked about a lot. I mean, when I started my first business, I had the same issue. I was co-mingling personal <laughs> funds and business funds before, you know, kind of, you know, getting my taxes back and getting audited mm -hmm. and then realizing, mm -hmm. you know what, I should probably separate these funds, which makes more sense. You know, it just makes more sense. But I, yeah. that's a lesson I had to learn the hard way. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And also to your point of like information being readily available. I mean, I've a hundred percent agree from being in the U.S system at least for my college and my education that information is way more readily available for you guys but in the caribbean information is still kind of pretty hard to get in terms of the structures of things and so you have to do a way more research you have to actually speak to another human being it's not as easy as go look it up somewhere because our websites are still we're very much kind of a little bit behind i'd say we are a decade behind in terms of that sort of thing yeah. A decade is a lot, though. I mean, yeah, I mean and, I, and I'm glad that you mentioned that it is different <laughs> like that in other countries, because certainly I think what's shown here in the U.S. is about sort of being a digital nomad and mm -hmm. you can work from anywhere if you work remotely no. and this kind of thing. And no. I mean, there's limitations. What'd you say? The pandemic was a blessing for us in a weird way because it forced us to get things like online banking, which we did not have before. <laughs> really? Yeah. 
things like apps and being able to like pay someone who banked somewhere else in Trinidad was a challenge, um, which sets up a challenge usually for business, at least for me as someone who, I mean, I learned banking with like Chase and, and Wells Fargo when I was in college. So mm-hmm. I was accustomed to, you know, getting paid by the company that I worked on in Atlanta, taking out my iPad at the time, scanning it on the app and having the money in my account. When then I came back to Trinidad and someone would pay me with a check and I'd have to go stand in a bank line, deposit said check, and then wait four to five business days to access the check. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very different realities. And that affects business as well. Walk me through like a typical day for you. Mm, sure. I always like to say no day is typical and every <laughs> day is very different. But to paint a kind of a picture, I would start the day usually catching up on emails. I have an assistant who I work with and she kind of helps me establish like what my to-do list is and what are the priorities in terms of clients etc i usually would have a meeting or two and these will all be online it's usually me chat checking in with a new client having a conversation about what their project is like that kind of thing and then it's usually like four hours especially if i'm working on a new branding project of just computer one-on-one time with zero disturbances. Well, I try for it to be with zero disturbances, but I have a a dog that likes a lot of attention. (laughs) (laughs) And I usually just kind of go into this this whole work where the world does not exist and I'm in my creation mode. And then after that, it's kind of, I do whatever I want in terms of relaxation, etc. And prep for the next day. The reason why I say it's like, it's not, there's no typical for me is because that might be like a Monday. Whereas if you were to ask me about a Wednesday, like tomorrow, um, it starts with me teaching my students because I teach on Wednesdays from nine to 12. And so a Wednesday would start with me teaching and then most likely doing, having no other meetings for the day just to kind of clear my head and focusing on getting tasks off my to-do list kind of knocked off but i would say like if if it was to broaden it a bit and talk about like a week and like a general week Mm -hmm. it would be typically a little bit of teaching many meetings lots of discussion with my assistants as well as someone that i recently started working with who is kind of helping me structure systems um, and processes within my business to like set it up for a more sustainable model so a lot of just like talking things through, talking steps through, talking like, okay, what is the process from the time I engage with a client to the final stage where they receive the final artwork? Like what are the steps? Um, When do they fill out the creative brief form? When do we meet? When do they make their first payment? When do they make their second payment? So stuff like that is kind of what's been happening a lot lately. And of course, well, the actual design work within those four hour period. <laughs> what are the like best types of clients for you to work with? Do you kind of work along clients in a particular industry? No, I would say I work across multiple industries, both within the creative sector, as well as corporate, as well as I think anything in between. Best clients would be a paying client. Hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, those are always great. No, but the 
ideal client for me is kind of someone who's a little bit open and clients who trust me, I think is what I am leaning towards noting is so important in the creative process. I work a lot with, I mean, well, as an identity designer, as someone who's there at the beginning, kind of creating the logo for your new business, your new baby, your new idea, your new project or whatever. That's kind of, I would say like 75% of the work that I do. So I'm there at the beginning, right? I'm there with this person and they're like, well, this is this thing that I've always wanted to do and finally getting started and I want to open a bakery or I want to create a new product. Those are kind of the the SMEs, as we call them, that come to me and who I work with. And so those are, I would guess, the ideals right now because they're fun to work with. What is it about identity design in particular that appeals to you? Mm, That's an excellent question. And I'm now like, I have my hands down and I'm thinking deeply to answer your question. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think I'm good at it. And I know that sounds kind of weird and conceited a little bit. I don't mean it in that way. It's just that it feels kind of second nature to me. So it, it feels kind of like this thing that I am meant to be doing and I'm able to do well. Even when I was studying design in college, like that was the thing, that was the part that like made my brain like tingle. And I guess when we did the different courses, maybe someone more into web, their brain might have tingled when we were doing that. And But for me, being able to tell someone's story visually is really, really appealing to me. And so getting into the this the background of why you're doing this and how you want your customers to feel and what kind of what is the best way to put all of those things together to kind of become the new face or look of of your of your business, your project, your company, whatever. It just it's really exciting for me. Like I love it. So yeah. So when a company or an individual contacts you about a new project, like talk to me about that. What does your process look like? Sure. So it's changed recently. So I now know it officially. So usually an email comes in and it will go straight to my assistant and she would kind of be their first point of contact. They'd be like, hey, I'm interested in finding out more about blah, 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 blah. And most of the times people want a quote. That's usually where the first thing they want to know is like if they can afford you or how much it's going to cost and that kind of thing, um, at least here. So what I do is we send a form that I've kind of created that helps get information from the client to create a creative brief. Because the typical client wouldn't know what a creative brief is outside of certain industries. There's, it's just not common knowledge. Yeah. So I created this form that allows them to kind of answer certain questions that ultimately creates a creative brief for me. And it also does things like ask, what's your budget, et cetera, et cetera. What are the actual deliverables that you're looking for? So it kind of lays all of that out for me. And then from that point, we send a quote and it includes things like the timeline, how long the project will take. And it also kind of lays out the kind of rules of engagement, like, you know, like when you'd get your first invoice, when you get your second invoice, who has ownership, who is rights and credits, all of those things are kind of, inclu- I include my, what you would call, I guess, contract within the court process. And so from there, 
the client either says yes or no, and usually it's yes, thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes we need to meet and chat a little bit more about the project. Sometimes we don't. There's some clients who I literally have never had a meeting with because they were just so very clear in their answering the form as well as in their emails. And they're like, yeah, no, I don't need to meet you. It's fine. But most of the times there are instances where we would meet and just talk about the project a little bit so I can get a better sense of what it is that they're looking for. And then I begin and head to phase one, which is usually sending, creating a document to send options for them, whether it's one option based on their budget and what they sent, whether it's two options, whether it's three options. And I go through this process of research based on the industry. The great thing about what I do is that I get to learn about all of these different fields and lives and businesses that I would never have otherwise been exposed to. So one day I'm looking up all of the information about NFTs. The next day I'm looking up real estate and how that works in Trinidad. Um, And so I just go like a deep dive into whatever the industry is so that I can understand it. I can see the trends. So the great thing about this is that I get to go this deep dive into different industries, what people are doing. And so I research the trends within the industry. I research things like what colors do people use? Um, what are the font styles? I'm really good at like observing patterns. For some reason, I feel like that's like a little secret thing that I have. And maybe not. Maybe that's what all designers do. And I just am giving myself more importance than necessary. I tend to like just pay attention to all the trends, pay attention to all the details, and then go back to the original notes that the client gave me of what they want, what they want to achieve, and kind of marry it all together to kind of achieve this perfect for them outcome. I send that off. Then comes like the painstaking part of waiting for client feedback, (laughs) which I think is always like, it's like the best and worst part of the project for me, at least, because it can go either way. It can go, I hate this and you've not understood anything that I said, or it can go, oh, I love this and this is what we want to move forward with. And from that point on, it's just back and forth with the client, whether it's edits, whether it's tweaks, um, changes, colors, fonts, etc. And then we get to the end when they finally have made their final decision. I package all the wonderful files for them and I hand it off and I say, here's your child. Goodbye. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of how I do it. I mean, your process sounds pretty thorough from start to finish. Yeah. I try to get as much information from clients as possible because that ideally is what helps me create. I think I've kind of figured out a way to eliminate as much as possible that back and forth period. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the earlys when I first began, like the back and forth was long and tedious and I didn't ask as many questions up front as I do now. And so I wasn't really designing for them. I wasn't solving their problem. I was designing for like the thing in general. So I was designing for like, say, say someone wanted a logo for real estate. I was designing a generic real estate something. I wasn't designing real estate, but based off of what they wanted to achieve. And so I think when I finally figured out that I needed to be more in tune with the client as well and asking them the right questions so that they would know, like not necessarily asking them what they want, because that's not really what I want them to tell me, 
but more so what are their goals? What do they want to achieve? Why are they doing this? All of those questions kind of help me then make sure that they have what it is that they need. I have noticed in the past couple of projects that I've wrapped up that the back and forth period is way shorter as a result of that because of those questions up front. Yeah, it's usually really good to kind of get as as many qualifying questions as you can, because one thing it does also, like you'll quickly find out whether or not this is a project you even want to do, if it's something you want to take on, if this is a client you even want to work with. And certainly like as you, you know, as you do more projects and as you mature in your business, you kind of get, you get a lot quicker at getting to the root of it. So that's good that you kind of have that thorough process. Yeah. So you're originally from Trinidad and Tobago. Tell me about what it was like growing up there. It's been amazing. I enjoy being part of the Caribbean. And I think growing up here was fun, I guess would be the word I would choose. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I am a carnival baby. And what that means is that we, a huge part of Trinidad's culture, and I say part of and not the only thing that is Trinidad because we have so much more to offer, but a huge part of it is our annual, I guess, street parade is what would be the best way to describe it. But it's really a season that kind of begins right after Christmas, straight until the February or March, depending on the year, because it usually lines up with whenever Ash Wednesday is. It's usually Monday and Tuesday before. So similar to Rio, I think also similar to New Orleans, all of our carnivals kind of line up around the same time. Mm -hmm. But I grew up playing Kitty's Carnival, which happened before the main Monday and Tuesday parade. Just that ability to express this freedom and creativity and this open way always really really fascinated me and so when I say I'm a carnival baby it's because like from the time I was five years old I was engrossed in this culture and I was playing these things we say playing carnival we say playing mass that's kind of how we refer to it it was great like I was ready like the first time my mom told me like the first time she took me she was like testing me out to see if it was something I'd be interested in when I realized that it was only one day, because I thought I was going back like the next day, like how you go back to school every day. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, you have to wait until next day. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, tomorrow. <laughs> so yeah, I would say growing up is very unique. I would say, I mean, I don't know how many foodies there are out there listening, but if you're a foodie, Trinidad is definitely a place to enjoy all of the flavors. I mean, Moving to Atlanta directly from Trinidad for college was an awakening because I didn't realize how much I loved our food until I left Trinidad. So that Mm. was really interesting. Yeah. You didn't run into any good, like, Trini spots here in Atlanta? Yes. It took me a while. um, (laughs) Because, I mean, this was 2008, 2012 was when I was there. So I didn't have as much information in that first year was just me getting used to the fact that I am no longer home and dealing with the culture shock, which I didn't think I would have. Cause I was like, well, it's people where speaking English, there's no language barrier, but learning appreciate you or appreciate it meant thank you. So <laughs> <laughs> that was like the biggest, I was like, what is, what are you saying? Appreciate it, man. I'm like, 
what? <laughs> there was a lot of back and forth with that um, in that first year, for sure. And getting used to cafeteria food was also very interesting. Lots of tilapia. It was, <laughs> it was a weird time. It was very weird. But yeah, no, I did eventually find some shiny spots here. And I also started cooking for everyone. And so it, it worked out eventually. Oh, nice. But nice. yeah. Yeah, Atlanta has a pretty big, like, overall Caribbean population, especially for students. Like, I went to Morehouse, so, like, in the whole AUC area, like, especially, like, when I first got to Morehouse, uh, that was my first time encountering anyone from the Caribbean outside of a bad impression that I might have saw in a movie or a television oh, show. So, <laughs> so I'm from Alabama originally, so it's just, like, okay. one state over, but... I remember yeah. getting to getting to Morehouse and meeting Jamaicans and Trinidadians and St. Lucians and at first thinking like everyone just sounded the same cuz I, mm. I I could kind of understand it but I couldn't understand it but then also learning just the differences in everyone's culture and the food that's where I got introduced to roti and doubles mm-hmm. and everything so mm-hmm. yeah I, I know what you mean by the culture shock i think atlanta i think for a lot of people when they first come to atlanta from anywhere it's a bit of a culture shock yeah for sure also i mean i don't want to sound like a bit of an alcoholic or anything but we drink at 18 in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys drink at 21 um and legally like, Legally. (laughs) Um, But like going to the club for me and being told that this was before y'all changed the law. So this was back when like at midnight on Sunday, the bar closed because y'all didn't serve what all on Sundays. That was huge for me. And not realizing that I couldn't like walk along the street and drink a beer because like that's just a thing that we do here. Savannah was kind of like a safe haven for me because you can kind of do that down by the river. And so yeah. I was always kind of running away to Savannah just to like get a <laughs> bit of an island feel a little bit, like just, you know, like a little bit of home. But yeah, all of those things that you like, you don't think about that are things until you experience it. And you're like, oh, this is something that I have never experienced before. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now your dad uh, worked in advertising. Is that was that kind of your first introduction to like the world of design in a way? I feel like it could be possibly. I grew up watching commercials and critiquing them with my dad. That's just kind of a thing that happened in the household. And never did I put the two and two together and be like, "Oh, well, this is a Korean. This is a thing." that I would then be doing in the future. It was never that direct or that that straightforward. I would be in, my dad worked at McCann Erickson in Trinidad for many years. And after school, that's just where I ended up. And we would be in the office until eight, nine every night because advertising, at least hair, I know globally it's, it's intense, but hair is many late hours and long hours of just making sure that clients are happy. I don't know that I ever made the connection with this is like a profession and a thing that I can do or wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I knew like very early on that I wasn't never going to work in advertising because of the de- demand and the hours that it that it that it puts on someone. And I think everyone was really surprised when I was like, "Oh yeah, I want to do graphic design," because it was not a well. I'm following in my dad's footsteps, or I've been exposed to this thing for this long, and this is what makes sense. Um, I actually did languages in school. I actually didn't even do art in well, what we call secondary school, that you guys would call high school. So it really wasn't like a 
a very clear-cut sort of thing that happened at all. It kind of became a, well, what do you enjoy doing and what are you doing naturally? And I was the person that was like creating event programs in school for like our masses. So I went to like Catholic girls' school and we'd always have like weekly masses and I was doing the, the program for those kind of things. So I was there and illustrator tinkering on my dad's computer, that kind of stuff. It came that way as opposed to like me watching this person that I've lived with my entire life kind of doing this thing and following him. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense. I mean, like, I mean, like I grew up, my mom was a, a biologist and I never wanted to really go into science, I think, because I was always around it, you know, and yeah. it's not to say that I didn't have like a passion for it or a proclivity for it. It's just because it's around, it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, this is the thing that I want to do. Like she was like super surprised when she saw that I was really into writing. And mm-hmm. then when I went to college that I majored in math, she's like, what? <laughs> uh, she didn't really understand like where that was all coming from because she thought yeah. I would either do she thought I would either do biology or like pre-med or something like that. Mm. And I had no interest in it whatsoever. Gosh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what was it like at SCAD for you? I mean, you mentioned that first year kind of being a bit of a culture shock, but how was it overall? It was great. I mean, I was finally happy to be doing something that I enjoyed in a school structure. Um, because prior to school, like, just to be completely transparent here, when I graduated from secondary school, high school, I had a 1.96 GPA. Oh, wow. I, I got into SCAD with a 1.96 GPA. Let's just put that there. Okay. And <laughs> the system here just didn't appeal to me at all. Like, I was doing it because I had to and not because of, and I wasn't interested, I wasn't engaged, wasn't anything like that. When I got to SCAD, it was like, oh my gosh, like all of a sudden I'm getting to do subjects I'm choosing. All of a sudden I'm trying, I'm getting to, you know, participate in this thing that I have actively decided like I'm interested in. So it was the first time of me enjoying an academic setting at all. And it was great. I think we had some really great professors in the graphic design field. They made a huge difference for sure definitely finding community and bonding with different people and different walks of life from different parts of the world was really fun as well. I was also really active in the student life. So I was like an RA. I was the youngest RA at the time because usually you're only allowed to be an RA once you get into your second year. But by the end of my first year, I was an RA and then I became CA. Um, and I also was <laughs> one of the loud ones who probably administration did not like, but <laughs> I, <laughs> but I got the the food to to improve in in the cafeteria, um, well, what we call the hub in Atlanta, and I met with like the manager of of the food situation was like, how can we improve this? And can we change up the menus? Can we recipes can change? Like you've been cooking the same thing for the past two years, what's going on? And so yeah, there was like a huge shift that happened. Literally, my like final quarter was when the results started to show 
Mm. Um, the food that they serve now is amazing in comparison to what we got. So <laughs> I, I still take small credits every now and then. I'm like, you're welcome, guys. You're welcome. You um, paved the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was great. It was really, really nice to just be in a setting that fostered learning a thing that you already figured out that that's what you want to learn. You know what I mean? Like, it was yeah. fun. So after you graduated, like, tell me about what your early career was like, because I'm, I'm kind of curious about this period right after you graduated and you were in Atlanta before moving back to Trinidad, because you kind of yeah. alluded to that a bit earlier. Sure. And your final year at SCAD, well, for graphic design, we used to have this event called Out to Launch. And basically, it's a reverse kind of portfolio review session where we set up booths, we being the students, set up kind of a, a little booth about ourselves and our work. And then SCAD invites prospective employers and businesses and companies within our field to come and meet us. And so we kind of sell ourselves at this kind of trade show kind of setup. So it's called Out to Launch and it's for the graphic designers. It was meant to then kind of introduce us to folks who we would then get jobs with after graduating. Um, so it's in that final quarter. And everyone, the pressure was on from that point in terms of we were very much an interview stage. And I was calling everyone and having interviews with folks, etc. I had the option for OPT for a year, which allows non-US citizens to stay and work in the US for up to a year after they graduate legally. I guess the hopes is that you'll, a company loves you so much that they would then sponsor you so that you can get a work visa and stay on permanently. I interviewed many folks and for some reason did not get through with many opportunities. Eventually, I connected with a company called Athleisure. I don't think they exist anymore. But at the time, they were an outdoor furniture design company. They were based um, near Grand Park area. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for an in-house graphic designer to work with them for things like instruction manuals and labels for their product. And when I say outdoor furniture company, I'm talking things like patio furniture, umbrellas, that sort of thing. They so that was my first job. Like for three months, I was there. It was an internship. I was the in-house graphic designer. They would provide things to like Target and QVC. Like those were kind of like where they were selling these things. And they had the furniture designers in-house who were creating the designs and then sending it off to China. And then I was like on the phone with China folks to get the instruction manuals and then design it with the established brand that they had. I had to like tweak the brand a little bit because the brand was really rough <laughs> when I joined. I was like, no guys, this isn't it. And I tried to tweak it a little bit, but there was only so much I could do because it was already like registered and that kind of thing. And it was a really, really interesting time. I mean, looking back now, I see how that job helped me for a lot of the things that I've since done and a lot of the projects that I've since worked on. Mm -hmm. In the moment, though, I will admit that I was very sad because in comparison i had classmates who were interning at nike and who were interning at apple and who were mm. interning at coca-cola and then there's me like just you know interning at this furniture design company and i'm like 
what gives, guys? So there was definitely that like internal sort of, am I good enough? What's going on? What am I doing with my life? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I also was that person who, even when I left to go to college, knew that I didn't want to stay um, and work in the U.S. I knew I eventually wanted to come back home. And I think maybe that's what folks saw as well in my interviewing process, even though I wouldn't have, wouldn't have said that outright. I think maybe seeing that I was not as dedicated or connected to staying in the U.S. to work permanently because they would have been looking for folks who they could then hone and then have a staff afterwards. So maybe that was a thing. Yeah, I wonder, you know, for, for young designers, particularly here in Atlanta, and this is something that I have, I've discussed it with like business folks here with studio owners and things like that. For design graduates that are like just coming out of school right now, Atlanta is a tough city to break into for your design career just overall for a number of reasons. Mm. One is, I mean, I would say the the business culture here particularly, but it's not like New York. It's not like Silicon Valley. It's not right. a city where you can sort of start out at maybe a more design forward or design focused company in that way. Like even some of the big names like, you know, Twitter or Square or things like that, they may have offices here, but then they don't really have a design department. They've got like sales here or engineering or something like that. So like Mm -hmm. it can be tough to get in on the sort of like on the ground floor. Mm -hmm. And then agencies are hard because agencies want you to have agency experience and you can't get agency experience without working at an agency. So it's it's (laughs) like that kind of rough go of of getting in. And so I know a lot of folks, particularly at, it depends on the school. Like I worked at AT AT&T for two years. This was way back in like 2006, 2000, from 2006 to 2008, I worked at AT AT&T and there was a direct pipeline from the Art Institute of Atlanta directly to AT&T, like a Mm -hmm. direct pipeline. Mm -hmm. People graduated from there they got referred by someone that they knew. And so they start in-house at somewhere. And mm-hmm. then from there, they would either go on to the CDC or they'd go on to like Northrop Grumman and they'd live just kind of this mid-tier designer life, so to speak. Nothing fancy, nothing great, but you know, it's a paycheck, that kind of right. thing. And I think the design community in Atlanta, and I'm, I'm you know, firing shots here, like it's just not that... I think for a designer just starting out, if they really want to sort of make an impact, it's really hard to find a company here where you can do exciting work. If you end up at a a good studio or something, maybe. Yeah. But it's tough. And so I know that a lot of graduates end up leaving. You know, you left. But like a lot of graduates end up leaving to go somewhere to a more exciting locale with better prospects, better career prospects in general, not just entry level stuff. Yeah, most of my class left, I would say. Um, yeah. I would say when they like maybe two or three folks stayed in Atlanta and they got through at like Coca-Cola. For the most part, people, yeah, for sure. I think New York and LA was where folks ended up. That's a huge relation to SCAD and just kind of the work that they do in making sure that you get an opportunity somewhere right. once, you've, once you've graduated. Because the school itself is a, I mean, it looks great on the resume. Anywhere you go, they say, oh, you went Mm -hmm. to Savannah College of Art and Design. That's going to at least get you an interview. So that's great. But here in the city, it's tough. And I mean, I've heard this from 
art students that went to art schools. I've heard this particularly from HBCU students. I've even heard this from people that have went to like Georgia Tech or Emory or Georgia State. Like it's just, it's Atlanta is a tough design city in that aspect. I will argue it until the cows come home. Mm. (laughs) It's just tough. I mean, like I had to start my own business to really further my career in design. Like, oh, wow. I graduated in 03 with a math degree. And of course I could, I didn't want to go into teaching. So I did like customer service jobs. I like sold tickets at the symphony. I was a a telemarketer for Atlanta opera. Like I did boring stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I got my first design gig, believe it or not, from answering a classified ad in the back of creative loafing. I like answered it on a whim that was yeah. my first design gig for the, it was for the state of Georgia. I did that for about a year and a half. And then from there, uh, went to AT&T, quit AT&T, and then started my own studio. And the reason I quit AT&T is because I could see my career hitting a glass ceiling already. And I had only been a working designer for roughly about three or four years. Mm. I'm like, I'm not going to get any further here. I was registered at Aquint and I was like, put my resume out there and no one wanted to even interview me. And I'm just like, I was going to move. I was trying very hard in like the last like 2008 or so. I was trying very hard to move to New York. Mm-hmm. I had friends that were up there that were like, well, we know a broker we can connect you with. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to further my design career staying in this city. Right. And it, it didn't change until I broke out and started my own thing, which is very similar to what you did. You left, you started your, <laughs> started your own <laughs> studio. Yeah. So how does one with a math degree then do design? Walk me through that. (laughs) (laughs) I tell people that math really teaches you how to think. Mm. And so what helped me, particularly when I started my studio with being a math major, and this is going to probably sound a bit weird, but you write a lot of proofs in math. Math is all about proving things once you get like past a certain level. Like Mm -hmm. you, you leave the numbers behind. It's all letters and symbols moving forward. And so you're proving things like, why is zero less than one? Why does one plus one equal two? And you would think like, oh, because it does, but then you have to prove it through all these, all these weird theories and all this kind of stuff. Going through all those logical steps taught me how to like put together a brief for a client, taught me how to put together a proposal, taught me to look at a problem and find more than one solution. So like mm-hmm. being able to kind of abstract that out into a way that made sense is kind of how I've I've done that. And I would say everything from that has been just honestly just self-taught. I read a lot of books, I watch a lot of courses. I oh my god, when I <laughs> when I worked at AT&T for example, there was a Barnes and Noble that was nearby my apartment. Mm-hmm. And I would go to that Barnes and Noble on like a Saturday and like get some of those, you know, photoshops, tips and tricks books. And uh-huh. I have my little point and shoot digital camera and just sit and just take pictures. Cause I'm like, I don't have $40 to buy this book. So I'm just going to take pictures and I'm going to go back home and I'm going to, you know, look at the pictures and try to recreate it in my cracked version of Photoshop that I downloaded from some sketchy place that hopefully uh-huh. won't give my computer a virus and just did a lot of practicing. Like there was a time where I went through and tried to figure out what every tool in Photoshop did. Every single one. I'm like, I'm going to figure out what each one of these things does. And then that helped me out once I actually got into a production environment, 
because then I knew these kind of things that Photoshop could do that other people didn't because they only knew, you know, maybe layers or something like that. And I'm like, oh, well, actually, you can make an artboard and do this, this, this and this. And folks are like, how do you know that? You know, that kind of thing. So I, yeah. it was a lot of I taught myself a lot about design. I've not taken a single formal design course. I always envy folks who can be self-taught. I've tried to like try to learn things on my own. And mm-hmm. um, my brain, I don't know what it is. I'm one of those people that needs to be in like this formal setting and someone else is kind of showing me the ropes in order to learn. And I hate that about myself, honestly, because I'm so envious of like folks who can just like, you know, have that self discipline to learn a thing. I find it so fascinating and amazing, and I envy you right now just a little bit. Well, I, you know, I'll tell you, it doesn't help when you have to go and apply for a job because mm. you can put all that self-taught knowledge on there, and the first thing they're going to look at is see is like, oh, you sold tickets at the symphony, or yeah. they see that yes, a you do. don't have the education and b you don't have the work experience. So whether I oh, knew it or not, it didn't matter once it got into that sort of setting, like. Certainly for my first design job, I really had to prove myself by like creating a portfolio overnight for <laughs> for the yeah. job that I ended up getting. And then even for AT&T, I remember they gave me a take home test. Uh, they were like, we want you to make a three page website. And there's two types of businesses you can choose from a bridal boutique or a motocross event. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take the bridal boutique. The person, the interviewer was a woman. She's like, what? You don't want the motocross? And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm feeling some sexism here, but I'm going to take the bridal bouquet of the bridal mm-hmm. boutique mm-hmm. and I'm going to work with that. And I made a little bridal boutique shop and they were impressed and I got the job. I just feel like that's the easier option as well. Like, yeah. So cross what, like, what do you even do with that? Like, I don't know. I'm dirt not background. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tire treads, like, uh, yeah, rough no, stencil type. No, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I just feel like bridal boutique is a better way to show off your design skills. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to do, but yeah, I did a lot of, oh my God, just so much playing around in Photoshop, just trying to mm-hmm. figure out what stuff did. But, you know, eventually once I had design experience under my belt, when I started my studio, for example, yeah. that was when I said my design career took off because clients don't care where you went to school. Nope. They don't care where you went to school. They just want to know if you can do the job that they're paying mm-hmm. you for. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for, you know, roughly nine years. And then I closed my studio down and got back into the working world. But, you know, it is what, what made it you is. Close? Sorry, I feel like I'm interviewing, you know. No, but. no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> the market changed. I mean, when I started, this was I started my studio in like 2009, like late 2008, early 2009. And Back then, WordPress was really started to take off. Mm-hmm. And so I had gotten good at making WordPress themes. Okay. And so that was something that really kind of let my career take off. I had uh, I had gotten together with someone who was running for mayor for Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And wait, you were probably here during that time. You were what, what years mm-hmm. were you in Atlanta? I was yeah, 2008 to 2012. OK, Lisa Borders had ran for mayor in 2009. Mm-hmm. And I was on her campaign. I was her director of new media. Okay. So like I made her website, her Twitter profile, her MySpace page to, to, oh, wow. to let folks know how long ago that was. Mm-hmm. And she didn't win. She came in third place. But one, that experience really like connected me to so many other people. Like 
influential business people and donors and things like that. So by the time the campaign disbanded, I had a Rolodex full of leads Mm. that I could then call on and be like, yeah, I can do this job. I can do that job. I can do that job. But I'd say by the time 2017 really rolled around, you know, the market had changed. WordPress was still a big thing. But then you started having the rise of a lot of site builders. You had Wix. You had Mm -hmm. Squarespace. Mm -hmm. And then for clients, it suddenly didn't make sense to have like a $5,000 bespoke website from WordPress when they could just pay Squarespace $8 a month Mm -hmm. and throw some together themselves. Like it became harder and harder of a sell to make that happen. And so eventually I just kind of wound it down and, you know, got back into the working world. Interesting. Interesting. Thank you for entertaining my question. No, no problem. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you know, when you're when you're working, you know, for yourself, you always kind of have to keep an eye on what's like just what's happening in the environment. Like, for sure, I, I picked up different services. I stopped doing different services. Like for a while, I'd say like right around like the mid 2010s, I started doing diversity consulting. Mm-hmm. I had no business doing diversity consulting. <laughs> What they saw was like a black person in design. And this was like around, I guess, maybe like year two or three of doing revision path. And they saw me doing this podcast and companies were like, yeah, we'll write you a check to come and tell us what we need to do to, to bring in more black people. So I got to like do work for Netflix and I did work for Vox Media. Now I I would say in hindsight, that was purely situational. Yeah. Not to say I didn't know what I was doing, but I didn't know what I was doing. In hindsight, I would say that, you know, because the money is spent now. But in hindsight, I was like, yeah, you know what you need to do? Change that job listing language. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Really did, because that sounds like good advice. But it helped, though. It it helped. Obvious for us, but it's not obvious necessarily, like if you don't live it and if that's not, you know, like if you're not aware of the mistake you're making, it's very easy for us to. It's your design training, right? It's very yeah. easy. It's, a, it's your math training. You're seeing what the problem is and you're calling it out. It's, it's right. Very, it's very simple. Yeah. There's there's one company. Um, I can say the company is Vox Media, but I remember I was doing consulting for their product team and they were saying that, well, we don't know. Like we're trying to get a sense of how many people of color are on our team and we just don't know how to find that out. And I was like, well, did you did you do a survey? Did you count? <laughs> And they were like, no, we haven't. And I'm like, oh my God, how do you, how do you not count? That's like the, but they didn't know that. And so they put out a survey and they got numbers behind it because this was at a time when a lot of tech companies were starting to first report like the percentage of black people as part of their creative workforce. Yeah. And so they're like, well, we want to try to get behind it and figure out the number and see what we can do to improve it and everything. And I was like, you should do a survey. <gasps> That's a great idea. Here's here's five thousand dollars. That's a great idea. Okay, I'll, look, I'll look, I'll take it. If that's all you need to hear, you know, pay me five thousand more. I'll tell you something else, you know. But it was I in the in hindsight, I would say very situational that you know wow. it sort of occurred in that way. But in general, yeah, I just wound it down because the market itself was changing. It was harder to do the kind of business that I had did before. And while I was changing, you know, my business was changing with the times. Also, the podcast was taking off. Yeah, There was a point where the pod, I was bringing in more money with the podcast than I was with the studio. And I really had to look and be like, well, what am I doing here? Like, I can just focus on the show. 
yeah. and not have to chase down checks, you know, from clients. So that's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's something where every year you kind of just have to like take stock and see what you're doing, see what you can change and improve. And For if sure. you can go where the market goes, you know. For sure. It's I feel like so my thing is like I'm always like I have a foot in in terms of observation of the market in the US and mm-hmm. then I have the very real reality check of the market in Trinidad, which is completely different. I think this year as well I've been trying to stop comparing the two. I've been trying to stop kind of beating myself up a little bit about well, if you'd stayed in America, maybe you would have had this much and blah 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 and kind of just dealing with the reality of what it is to run a design firm in Trinidad. It's definitely a challenge for sure, a hundred percent. No one's gonna pay me five thousand US to tell them the things that I tell them all the time. That's just not the reality of our situation here. It's kind of sad on one end. It's kind of like, oh, I wish you people just get with the program. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end, it's like, it's like a nice challenge, you know, because it's like you get to be at the start of hopefully something different, something new, like helping make a difference, helping improve a culture of what design could be in Trinidad. I mean, when I graduated from college, when I came back in 2012, at the end of 2012, there were no graphic designer jobs. Like, people didn't know what graphic design was. Like, mm-hmm. that wasn't a thing. And the fact that now, like, when I look through job listings, there's graphic designer this, graphic designer that, etc. Like, to me, like, that shows, like, okay, in 10 years, there's been change. So at least I can say things are improving. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Now we just need to get them to pay graphic designers what way actually works and stop trying to get a graphic designer who's also an animator and a mm. copywriter all in one, which is yeah. like a huge thing here locally. You know, we want we want one person to do all the things and pay them a quarter of the of the price. So that's kind of like the realities. And I guess it kind of answers one of your first questions as well of like how come I would have started my own thing is because you could make more money doing your own thing than you could working somewhere, which yeah. is wild. That's wild to me. Like the fact that there's more stability as a designer, like freelancing and working on your own and trying to figure things out than Mm -hmm. having that stability of, well, a paycheck. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely how it was when I, when I started my studio, I felt like I could make more money, but also, like I said, like I had just hit a a plateau in my career. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I don't know where I would be now if I would have stayed at AT AT&T and didn't break out and do my own thing. Because aside from just the the freedom of entrepreneurship, it gave me a lot of confidence just mm. in my skills overall. Because For sure. at AT&T, I was like part of a team. And the way that they had a structure was they really pitted you against your coworkers. Like it was really more of a competition than a team well, kind of thing. And, you know, once I left, I really felt like I've got a couple of years of design knowledge under my belt. I know what I'm doing. I didn't know what I was doing, but I could at least <laughs> figure it out and like come to terms with the kind of work I want to do and the, the kind of teams I want to be on and stuff like that. So because I was calling the shots myself, it made yeah. it just a lot easier in terms of me being more confident because at the end of the day, you know, you know, this, you have to hunt what you kill, I guess is how you put it. Like no <laughs> one's going to be responsible for bringing the work in, but you, no. 
unless yeah. you happen to have a salesperson. But other than that, you but have sure. to kind of be the one that's the face of the company, especially if your name is part of the company. Like you got to be out there yeah. selling it all the time. For sure. Definitely. And I definitely learned that very quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> it kind of happened naturally, though. Similar to how your your kind of um, kind of leap off points would have been in working with that mayor. Well, going up for mayor person. I guess my equivalent project would have been working with our local film festival. That was kind of one of the first design jobs that I got and back when I moved back home. It was really just an internship, but I got to work alongside an art director, Melanie Archer, who is pretty awesome. It was a really strong brand that it was already created. So every year we just kind of roll out all of the different elements for the festival. So whether that's signage, whether it's the, like, the poster, but what that allowed me to do similarly to you was network in a country where networking is not as, it doesn't happen as organically or as officially as when I was in Atlanta and going to AIG, AIGA buzz. Um, <laughs> events and that sort of thing you know like that's what I, that was a, what I was accustomed to I was like oh I'm going to go to this this networking event and meet these people and talk and blah 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 yeah. and then I got back to Trinidad and I'm like where are the networking and like everybody's like looking at me like what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> um, and so all of a sudden I'm in this festival with all of these different creatives doing all of these different things and I'm meeting the sponsors so I'm meeting banks and all of these different folks who are part of this community that I would have been completely removed from for four years while I was in college. And that definitely led to all of the connections, like some of the friendships that I even have to this day from that that moment and that time definitely would not change it. I don't know where I would be now if, similarly to what you're saying, I don't know where I would be now if like I was still working in athleisure, for example, or if I Right after at Legion, when I came back home, I would say my equivalent of your AT&T job might have been like this bank gig that I took where they <laughs> they advertised it as a desktop publisher. Mm -hmm. And this is a time when I have my graphic design degree and I'm not seeing any jobs with graphic design in it. So I find this thing. I'm like, what is a desktop publisher? Look it up. It was like, it said something like someone that designs long documents or so like brochures and annual reports and that sort of thing. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I can do that for a bank. Day one, I had no computer. Day two, <laughs> they gave me nothing. Like I was sitting at the desk, no desktop on it for me to do any desktop publishing. It turns out they just wanted someone to design PowerPoint presentations mm. for their managers to like do a transitionary blah, blah, blah. So I didn't last, I didn't last a month. I don't think I was like, no, this is like, mm -mm did haven't opened PowerPoint in any like any time in my four years at SCAD. <laughs> and uh, right after that was when I found out about the festival looking for a graphic design intern. I was like, oh my gosh, someone wants a graphic designer specifically in Trinidad right now. Jump <laughs> on that. And the rest was history. Yeah. Now aside from your design firm, you're also a writer. Talk to mm. me about that. So I would say I'm an aspiring writer and not a writer. I won't toot myself just yet, but what I do is in my downtime or my free time, I go to a lot of writing workshops because like I told you, I'm not a self-taught person. 
So um, we have this other festival here called Bukas Lit Fest, which is our literary festival. Mm-hmm. And they put on different events and workshops all the time. And I've been to a couple of them. I mean, I've been writing since I was a teenager. I'm, I'm like one of those people that was always writing cheesy poems. I kind of, over the years, just kind of put a little bit more energy towards writing every now and then. This year, I kind of put the most energy, I would say, towards it because I entered a emerging writers thing. So I entered Bocas's emerging writers like competition scenario fellowship, sorry, is the term. And I was actually shortlisted in prose. And I was like, okay, Aria, do you really need to like start putting a little bit more energy into this writing thing and stop saying you're an aspiring writer and just be the writer that you want to be kind of thing. But yeah, I really, I use writing as a way to get out of my head a little bit. I find as a designer and as someone that works primarily alone and not necessarily on a bigger team, that it's a lot of thoughts just floating around in there always. Like the brain is constantly flowing and writing allows me to take all of those thoughts and kind of put it somewhere which I really, really enjoy. So, yeah. And I write about me or about experiences that I've experienced. Yeah, I like it. Do you think you'll ever kind of branch out and write about design? I would love to. So I have a blog. I do write about design on there sometimes, but usually it's in a critiquing manner or it's in a, this is how this could have been better it's more like me critiquing the design society in Trinidad rather than me writing about like design formats or structures kind of thing. Mm, but okay. I kind of see myself doing both because it's something I've been wanting to do simply because we don't have it. One, I actually, technically I did write about design. I actually co-wrote a book called How to Get Paid <laughs> for designers here locally in Trinidad um, and kind of like talking about like what the pricing is like and how to you know get those things down why you should have a contract stuff like that but I guess that's more business of design than design specifically but I also had like this feature on my social media page on Instagram called just a tip and I was I used to give design tips on Tuesdays and I kind of wanted to turn that into something that I do on my blog or maybe a newsletter that continues and it's a little bit more direct in terms of suggestions and that sort of thing. So there's room for it to answer your question. Yes. You could be the voice of Trinidad design. <laughs> Some people would say that I kind of am. Um, and I run away from that a lot. Like that terrifies me. The idea of, of being the person for anything that's, I, I'm, I feel very badly about speaking on behalf of other people like i just want let me i'm speaking for me myself area chandler i'm not speaking for trinidad or trinidad graphic designers or anything like that like that's a lot of responsibility yeah well (laughs) i mean i I think a lot of writers are like that they're they have their own quirks and stuff but i think as long as you're talking about your work and your process and even just writing about yourself like you mentioned that's a good thing you know writing is one of those things it's called a practice for a reason you kind of have to Mm -hmm. keep doing it Yep. Aside from writing, you also teach. You're doing a lot. <laughs> you're running your Absolutely. business. You're writing. Tell me about uh, your teaching at University of West Indies, St. Augustine. 
a couple years ago, I was hanging out on a rooftop event and met a fellow designer who was one of the folks that I first worked with here and kind of guided me in the local design scene. And he was like, I just started teaching and they're looking for more lecturers. Um, are you interested? And I was like, um, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, um, I've never given teaching a thought. Like, I, am I qualified? They're like, yeah, you just need to be a practicing designer and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, hmm, sure, let me try. And literally within 15 minutes, he had messaged the person and the person messaged me. And I had a meeting the next day to talk about <laughs> lecturing at a university. And my mind was blown. And they were like, oh, yes, we were looking at your work and we think that you'd be great for this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. And before you knew it, I was teaching year two students about design basics and going from, you know, practicing design and to applying all of the things that I I tried to, to... search up all of my scarred syllabi to kind of (laughs) get some kind of inspiration and then before you knew it i was putting together my own syllabus and the rest is is what it is and so i started uh, this year was my third year um teaching Mm. this this course so i am i'm a part-time lecturer so it's only during the first half of the well first quarter third of the year i guess for the second semester that starts in January. And yeah, I get to talk about design and teach design and kind of help shape what other folks are doing. That process and in conjunction with working with interns at my business kind of inspired me to then start teaching courses as part of my business because Mm. I realized one that I actually really like teaching which really, really surprised me more than anything else. I was really, really shocked. And I'm not sure why I was that shocked. I guess I just never thought of myself as someone who would have the patience to teach because I feel like it's very much like a devotion and one of those things where, you know, it requires you to, you know, remove yourself from yourself a little bit and kind of very much make sure that what you're saying is, resonating with someone and helping them your teaching is basically helping another person and i guess design is also helping another person and they're both kind of the service industry thing and so maybe it does make sense that i enjoy doing both but i also noticed in working with the interns that i worked with they were coming from another local school and a lot of things were like lacking like they didn't know like some basic design things that i felt like they should know we also have a huge self-sort community in Trinidad. And so I thought, okay, cool. Let me like put together some design foundation basics, at least, that folks can reference. I'm talking about things like knowing the difference between a JPEG and a PNG and a PDF, like mm-hmm. basic. And that also really went really well. And so I'm actually preparing now to do the next, which will be my third offering of courses so far. But yeah. I mean, you're you're writing, you're teaching, you're you're running your own business. Like, what's the best thing about all this work that you're doing? What do you mean the best thing? Well, I mean, I could ask what's the worst thing. (laughs) 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 I I mean, I would imagine there you have some enjoyment out of this, all right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Honestly, 
I am one of those people that likes connecting with other human beings. I never thought I would have, like, if you asked me this 10 years ago, that would not have been what I said. I very much am one of those people that enjoyed my alone time. I'm an only child. Like, I like doing stuff on my own, solo traveler here, like, all of that stuff. But I quickly realized over the past couple of years that I enjoy connections. I enjoy connecting with other human beings. I enjoy that experience and all of the things that I'm doing I've realized that is the one common sort of thing that's happening I am able to step out of myself a little bit step out of my world and connect with someone else in their world and that's great like I enjoy that so much and it kind of makes life a little bit easier to live at least for me do you feel creatively satisfied for sure like right in this very moment in time, I would say I need a little bit more. And I think maybe that's what writing does for me in terms of satisfying that creativity. I think, yes, yeah, sorry. I feel like I'm, I feel like I am creatively satisfied, especially when like I wrap up a branding project and the client is happy with it. And I was like, I know I did the right thing and I know I hit the mark on what it is that they were looking for and what also what it is that they needed when they say things like oh my gosh I wasn't expecting this so like like I get a lot of those kinds of reactions which is pretty wild and fun and interesting and I think that does kind of satisfy that that creativity but I am also at that point where I'm at that 10-year mark Mm -hmm. since 10 years since I graduated from SCAD I am feeling that itch of like, what now? What more? Where else? What can I do differently? Like, what is the next step for me? You know what I mean? Like, where do I go now? Do I pivot as we've been talking about so much in this, these past two years? Do I learn a new skill? Do I like, what's the next step in terms of that creativity and that flow and what I want, you know? Yeah. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, what do you want this? this next chapter of your life to be? I definitely want to teach more. I would love to be able to get to a place where I can go from being a part-time lecturer to maybe a full-time lecturer. I think that would be really awesome. And I kind of really see myself becoming, I want to step more into that brand identity designer shoe out of that whole graphic designer shoe where I still kind of float around, meaning I still do anything under the heart of graphic design even though I focus a lot on branding I kind of want to like be like I am a brand identity designer and I am the person that you come to for for that specifically and that alone I kind of I want to eliminate as much options and kind of zone in and be more specific and intentional with what I'm doing in five years I'd like to be able to impart that knowledge more um, more talking workshop opportunities Hey, if I can give a TEDx talk in five years, that would be awesome. You know, Mm. Um, (laughs) that's kind of where I see things. Well, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you, about your firm, about your work? Where can they find that online? Oh, I make it very, very easy. So I have my website. I technically have two. (laughs) <laughs> but for my business, Ariad by Design, A-Y-R-I-D by Design.com. That's my website. I'm also the same thing, Ariad by Design on Instagram. I have a very kind of unique name. I think I'm the only Ariad Chandler out there. 
So from the time you type that in, I think most of my stuff comes up. But those two places are kind of where you can start. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, Aria Chandler, I want to thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Thank you really for just sharing not just your story, but also, I think, giving us kind of a behind the scenes of what it's like to run a business, particularly running it from another country and showing people out there, you know, as you said, kind of right before we started recording, you said you wanted to let folks know that they're not alone and that there's a sense of community. And so I hope that people will listen to this and they'll sort of get exactly what you're talking about. Like a lot of the experiences you shared are universal experiences to a lot of designers, to a lot of entrepreneurs. And so even as you do your work with writing and teaching and everything, you know, you're not alone out there. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this. Big, big thanks to Aria Chandler. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Ariad and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts provided by Brevity and Wit. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? You know, don't be a stranger. We would love to hear from you on social media. So hit us up. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, or on Spotify. The more people you tell about the show, the bigger we become and the further we can extend our reach to talk to black designers, developers, artists, and other digital creatives from all over the world. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.